The following message is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe can be found at axechurchleander.com. Scripture reading for today comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Thank you so much, Sean. And again, it's great to be with you guys on this Sunday morning. Would you guys pray with me before we dive into today's scripture? Dear God, you're a good God. You're a God uh, who is calling us, is teaching us uh, how to be like you. Lord, as we finish up this series, Acts Like Jesus, Lord, we pray that you embolden us, you encourage us, you strengthen us, and you, you strengthen our legs, but also give us excitement and curiosity and courage about what comes next. It says all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we have been going through this series called Acts Like Jesus. And we've been talking about how while salvation comes through Christ alone, and we don't work our way to heaven, no, Jesus came down, he worked his way to us in a very real way. He didn't, work, he didn't do all of that to just leave us in a static state. Instead, he calls us to be disciples. He tells them that a disciple will be like their master when they are fully formed, when they have been fully transformed into something else. And that's what God has been doing in and through us. And so we've been looking at different ways God forms us to act like Jesus. First week, we dove into how he uses Scripture to train and to raise up and to equip us for acts of good work to be righteous in God's eyes. Following week, AJ gave a great message about how God uses all of our circumstances to weave and to craft his plan for our life. We looked at the story of Joseph and all the hurt and all the pain and how through all of it, Joseph was able to look back and say what, God, what man planned for evil, God planned for good. Last week, we looked at and actually experienced what it looks like to pray and to meditate, to pray, to call out to our God but then also to meditate, to listen for him, and in his word to come and draw closer to him. 
This last week, though, we're going to get practical. We're, we're going to get into the trenches. We're going to talk about how our living lives, moment by moment, are called to shape us. And as we act like Jesus, we actually are formed to be like him. That's what our scripture reading was all about today. Starts off with what it says, an expert in the law. And the law in Jesus' time was the Torah. It was the first five books of the Bible. And there was a theory within the Jewish community that if they could just do the correct religious law works, if they could just do religion right, quote unquote, they would satisfy God's wrath for rebelling against him hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so they had an entire societal class that specialized in reading the law and figuring out, okay, if we can punch these buttons on the cosmic religious vending machine of God, we'll finally be okay. God will finally forgive us, and we can have a relationship with God again, and, they will, and God will bless us again. Right? And so it's one of these religious law experts. They come to Jesus, and it says that he wanted to test Jesus. He wanted to see if Jesus knew how to sort the law the right way. And so we ask the question, teacher, what is the most important law in the Old Testament? What's the big religious thing to do? Well, Jesus, he flips the question on him. He goes, well, you know it pretty well. I mean, this is literally your job. You tell me, Jesus says. What's the most important religious thing to do? And the guy answers, and he says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answers, you've got it right. Do that, and you will live. One of the things I love about this contrast is that the man starts off by asking about eternal life, right? How do we get to heaven? Which is a core question of any religion, Right? It's going to answer that question in some form or fashion. But the man was looking into the future. And what Jesus does is he moves from the future to the present. He says, you're right about loving God and loving your neighbor. He goes, do that and you will live today. Jesus, while not forgetting about the future, realizes if you live with Jesus here and now in the present, the future takes care of itself. So often as Christians, so often as the church, both here in America but all across the world, we can become so fascinated and fixated on getting to heaven that we, we miss out on the present moment that God wants to use to form us and to draw us closer to who he called us to be as his disciples. Because what ends up happening is if we're so fixated on what comes on life after death, we're willing to sacrifice anything here and now because the ends will always justify the means. And what you see in Jesus is he never has to use the ends to justify the means. No, he uses every present moment to redeem and reclaim the present, knowing that as he did that, he would redeem and reclaim the future as well. So that's this conversation that's happening between this religious leader who's talking about how do you do the right religious things, and Jesus frames it, and he says, no, 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 no. It's not about doing religious things. It's about love 
both up to God, but then also out towards each other as well. This kind of frustrates the religious law expert, though. So here applies to Jesus, well, quantify. Who is my neighbor? And then we have this beautiful parable that Jesus tells to help explain God's definition of neighbor. And what we're going to see is that we look at neighbor as a noun, but God looks at it more like a verb. So the story goes like this. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went on his way, leaving him half dead. This road between Jerusalem and Jericho was known as the Bloody Pass. It was known as a place where robbers had a lot of places to hide, to be able to sneak up on people, to rob them, to physically assault them, to take all that they had, and then leave them to the ravages of the world, if not already dead. The story starts off with someone in distress. And I think all of us in this last year, in some form, in some fashion, can feel like we've been through the bloody past. Whether it was finances, whether it was relationships, whether it was fear, whether it was mental health issues. The last year, all of us went through it. Differently, different boats, but same stretch of road. Right? And so Jesus sets up the story with someone in distress. And then he talks about three people who see this man beaten and broken in need of assistance. The first was a priest who happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed him on the other side. All right, so first a priest, someone like me, a pastor, someone who runs the church, who runs the local synagogue. You would think this person, okay, this is how God is going to save and rescue this person who the world has left for dead. But no, no, the, the, the priest walks on the other side of the road. He avoids him. So to a Levite, an expert in the law, just like the person who asked Jesus the question to begin with, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. Jesus uses the two largest religious groups priests and Levites, the pastors and the worship leaders of the church. And he says, they see someone in distress, but they're, they're too busy doing the religious things. In Jesus' time, the number of codes you had to press into the vending machine, the number of things that the religious leaders told them you had to do to appease God, was in the hundreds and in the thousands of different rules and regulations that you had to memorize in hopes that maybe eventually God would relent. They were too busy doing religious things, like maybe going to church, reading the Bible, saying the right prayers, and those are all good things. In fact, we just spent the last three weeks talking about how God uses all of those things to form us in his image. And yet, when we miss out on the present of what God is trying to do, what God is showing us in love and opportunities to reach out, to lean in, when we miss that, well, we miss the point. It doesn't matter how many times we went to church, how many prayers we said, that there's a gap there. 
The story then goes on, though. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. This is a turning point in the story. Because as soon as an ancient Jewish Israelite heard about a Samaritan, they had a gag reflex. They were the bastardized children of God, and I'm, I'm using that word really intentional, because what they had done was they had taken parts of the faith and they had merged it, married it, to the faiths of the world. And the Samaritans were born out of that. And so they had parts of Scripture, but then they also had parts of the world, and it was all just kind of jammed together. And so the Israelites saw them as unpure. They saw them as half-breeds, traitors, part of the problem. In fact, they were a worse part of the problem than the rest of the world because they started with the solution. Nothing good came out of Samaria. So much so that if you were to have to travel through Samaria and you got dirt in your sandals, that when you left the region, you would literally take off your shoes, kick the dirt from them, so you didn't take anything from them, gag-inducing when Jesus enters the Samaritan. But the man, Samaritan, sees him. And as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. The priest walks on the other side of the road. The Levite sees the damaged, broken man walks on the other side of the road. But, but the Samaritan sees. says, has pity, or from the Greek, has compassion. And the word compassion in the Greek meant to connect your core to someone else's core. It meant to have empathy. It meant to realize the plight of someone else and not separate yourself from that plight, but instead to allow yourself to feel and experience that with the damaged, broken, hurting person. The religious people separate themselves. The Samaritan connects himself. And he went to the broken man, and he bandages his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him. Then he took the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave it to the innkeeper, and he said, Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you have. The Samaritan literally acts like Jesus. Right? That's what Jesus does. All of us, in our own way, in our own form, in our own seasons, we get broken by the world, whether it's our own sin or consequences of something exterior. All of us still need a Savior. All of us need a Messiah. And so the Messiah comes to us. He sees us isolated, and He comes to us. That's the entire story of Jesus. Heaven comes to earth. And, and He bandages us up. And he cares for us. And he says, whatever cost that they incur, put it on my tab. That's what the cross is all about. That our sin, our brokenness, all of that was taken care of at the cross. That it's no longer 
us to carry. It's no longer our wounds, but they've been healed. That we are righteous in right relationship with our God, but then called to be righteous in our relationships with each other, to have right relationships. When we see someone who is hurting, when we see an opportunity that we don't separate ourselves from them, but instead we lean in, we have compassion, we connect ourselves to those issues, and that in connecting ourselves to those issues, we're shaped. God uses action, God uses the present to form us into his image into being better disciples of Christ. Jesus ends the story by asking, well, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus answered, so go and do likewise. You want to be formed in the image of God. You want to act like Jesus. That happens when we turn neighbor from a noun. Oh, they live next door to me. They're across the street to a verb. A neighbor isn't who they are. The neighbor is who I am. Who I am called to be. Who you are called to be. And the answer then to then who is Who are we called to be a neighbor to? Well, the answer in that is whoever God puts in your path. Whoever God puts in our path. When you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off, that's your neighbor. When we as a church rally around teachers at Baghdad or Abundant Life or Acts of Love or anyone else, that's our neighbor. Whenever God brings someone into our life, either in distress or in celebration, when we emotionally allow ourselves to connect to them, to have compassion on them, and then to act accordingly, we are being a neighbor. We are living out that reality that God has called us to. Because much like a neighbor is a verb, so is love. that in doing so, we actually reflect love back up to God and we reflect his love back out to each other as well. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.